Hey, we are, uh, today we're going to be in the book of John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We are in, we are fast approaching Passion Week. Passion Week is the week before Easter. We're coming up upon the, the time. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Where there's some feasts that happen that week. Uh, that week is the Thursday time where he shares the Last Supper with his disciples. He goes out, they walk along the vineyard. Uh, John chapter um, 14, 15, 16 is a beautiful chapter, a uh, couple of chapters with Jesus' last words to his disciples. Uh, you know, when somebody's on their deathbed, when they're, they're going to their last days, the final things they say are usually important. And so that's John 14, 15, 16. That's all going to be happening time-wise next week, not this coming week, but next week after Palm Sunday. And so today what I wanted to do uh, in, in service is to back up about a week or so before Palm Sunday. And, and we're going to join in a week early in the last couple of weeks of Jesus' life. Now, the, the story we're talking about today is the story of Lazarus. We don't know how much before Palm Sunday triumphal entry this is. It's probably more than a week, but it's not long. A few weeks, a month at the most. Uh, there's a little, a little you know, confusion for sure how quick. The reason we know it's really close is, is uh, the character Lazarus, who appears in not any other gospel but the gospel of John. It's the only place you find uh, Lazarus is, is right now, and then he shows up in, in, a, in the next chapter too. Lazarus comes on the scene. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, who we know. Mary's the one who pours the costly perfume on Jesus' feet. Lazarus is the brother. Um, and so what, what, what we find is after this event, the event of Lazarus, Lazarus is then at a banquet with Jesus, sitting at the table. Um, at, at, with, at the table with Jesus. And so uh, we're going to pick that up right today and talk a little bit about Lazarus. Uh, if there was a message, a, a, a name for this message, I might call it from the tomb to the table. Okay? Or from burial to the banquet. Because we're going to talk about Lazarus. Now Lazarus, uh, chapter 11 of John, um, he, he was sick. And Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, the, the one, Lazarus, whom you love, whom you love is sick. Now that, that, that's a whole message in, in itself. Lazarus had a special relationship, as did Mary and Martha with Jesus. There's only four people that I know of in the Bible who have that specific call out of the, the person that Jesus loved individually, not just corporately. Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and then because we believe that John is the author of the book of John, throughout the book of John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay? So, so Mary and Martha call to Jesus, and, uh, and they say, Lazarus is sick. Here's Jesus, the king of kings. He's the healer. He's the master. Um, he's probably about a day's journey away from where uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha are. So what we, what we figure is that, you know, we'll, we'll call, we don't, we don't know the day, but we'll say on Monday, Mary and Martha sent to Jesus. It took a day for the person to get there and give Jesus the news. So on Tuesday, Jesus gets the news. Lazarus is sick. So what does Jesus do? Here we find he waits for two more days. Waits for two more days. Then spends probably a day traveling back to get to Bethany, the town which is close to Jerusalem. 
just a few miles from Jerusalem on the hill of the Mount of Olives. And he comes. And as he's coming, Lazarus is already dead. Four days. So by that, we, what, what, what the, we believe is that, that the day that they sent the messenger off, Lazarus died. And, and so Jesus, four days later. Now, what's, what's really important in that first part is that the disciples are like, hey, you know, are we going to go? And, and Jesus says, we're going to go. And, and they're like, why are we going to go there? You're, you're, they're trying to kill you. You're going to go right back to Jerusalem. And, and so they have this, this great thing. But I want to give us a couple points here um, as we go through. So at the very beginning of chapter 11, we find Lazarus was just, he was sick. Wasn't dead yet. The word comes to, to Jesus. Come and heal our Lazarus come back Jesus waits around for a couple of days when he gets there Lazarus is already dead by four days now if you're reading that and you know who Jesus is how many believe that Jesus was surprised that Lazarus was dead (laughs) this is no shock to Jesus he purposely waits two days why do you think he waits two days I'll tell you what I I believe what most people would would believe Jesus wanted to make sure everyone knew that Lazarus was really dead. This isn't some parlor trick. He wanted to give it ample time for a miracle to take place. Sometimes we're asking for our miracle now, and Jesus knows that the miracle needs to wait a little bit longer. And so Martha comes as she sees Jesus, and she comes, and and they're mourning, and all the people are there, they're all mourning, leaves Mary behind and comes to Jesus a little bit further on, in John chapter 11 and says to him Master if you would have been here Lazarus wouldn't have died that's, that's, that, that's sometimes like our prayer God if you would if you wouldn't and then we lay something at his feet but Martha isn't just accusing God here she's making a statement but then out of her faith she says she, she tells him, that, but it doesn't matter because I know that you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Let me get there. Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus coming, went and met him in verse 20, 22. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And so he goes on to this conversation with, with Martha and Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus' famous words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Lazarus is in the tomb. He's already been dead for four days. Now, I I heard, and I don't know if this is anyone can verify this you we've all heard of a of, of a wake i heard that one of the, the 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 reasons they do a wake is because there's been known for people to die and not be dead and they actually get up they wake up and so i heard i read a thing that says the wake was actually held it, because the body a wake official wake the body is still there with you in case he wakes up there's always a time of grieving when someone dies. They don't, you know, they're not usually putting somebody in the ground within hours, though in Guatemala they, they do pretty quick. 
Lazarus is already in the tomb. They wrapped him up in grave clothes. They bound his hands, his feet. They put the grave cloth over his face. They put him in the tomb, and they rolled the rock in front. And when Jesus begins to talk to, to Martha, to Mary, saying, Lazarus will live, he says, but my Lord, you know, he, he, Jesus says, roll away the stone. And Martha says, but he stinks. If you've been around a dead thing, you ever had a dead animal die in your wall? You know, you want to clear out for a week or two while that thing, what, decomposes. Because decomposition causes stench. Lazarus isn't just dead. He is decomposing. His body is going away. And here's the wonderful part. Death is not a problem for Jesus. Decomposition is not a problem for Jesus. But what is, what is death? Well, I think it's sin. Sin for us is death. Those who are in sin, they're dead in their sins, Ephesians 2 says. So no matter what sin you or somebody else is in, Jesus isn't afraid of death. No matter how far somebody's lost in their sin, decomposing in their sin, there's no match for Jesus. And we see this life-giving Jesus. Lazarus was in the darkness. He couldn't see. He's in the tomb. He's trapped behind a stone. Now let's talk a little bit about Jesus. Jesus, he gets the news. He doesn't come right away. He knows the perfect time to come. And he waits a couple of days. Now listen, Jesus didn't come to bring Lazarus life because Lazarus asked him. Jesus came because Mary and Martha asked him to come. So what can we learn from that? When there is somebody you know who's dead, go to Jesus in prayer. Intercede on their behalf. Jesus, come to my friend. They're dying. They're dead in sin. And we have the power to intercede on somebody's behalf and bring the power of Jesus on behalf of somebody who maybe cannot, will not ask for help. But Jesus didn't do exactly what Mary and Martha wanted him to. They wanted him to come right now and he had another plan and he waited a few days and he did it his way. He didn't want to heal Lazarus. He wanted Lazarus. He wanted to raise him from the dead. You know, sometimes we're thinking too small. We want just a, a bless somebody, and God says, no, I want to do a whole makeover. I want to bring somebody way out of death, out of stinky, decomposing death. Oh, God, just protect them while they're in their sin until they can come to you. And sometimes God says, no, I'm going to let them die and decompose in their sin and raise that body up to life. Jesus comes and even though he he knew what he was doing he had compassion on Mary and Martha their hearts John 11:35 says that Jesus wept So finally the moment of truth comes and I love what Jesus does it says the roll away the stone 
And in the, in the story, it says that Jesus called him by name, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. You know what I believe he called his name by Lazarus? Because if he wouldn't have said his name, everybody in that tomb would have come to life. <laughs> Jesus has the power to bring everybody back, and he didn't want to do that yet. So he says, Lazarus, you come forth. And so, so I don't know what this looks like, but he, the Bible says that, that his feet and hands were bound. He was wrapped in the grave clothes. He still had a cloth over his face, which means he can't see. He's still in bondage, and he comes hopping out of the tomb. They didn't go in and get him. He called him out. And then Jesus says, unbind his hands, unloosen his feet, take the cloth off of his face. Lazarus came to Jesus not knowing much. He didn't really know much. All of a sudden, you know, one minute he's dead. I don't know where he was in that moment. I've wondered. So what was he doing four days dead? Was he hanging out with the angels? He comes forth. And there was power to raise death but not just regular death stinky death you know Jesus has power to to heal and to raise stinky death stinky sin you know we we all know people who are caught in sin and then we know who people who are caught in sin you know, we, those without Christ, the Bible says, Ephesians 2.1, are dead in their sins and their trespasses. And we know that all, all sin, sinful man, is, is destined for hell. Without life, without Christ, everyone, no one's going to go to be with Jesus. But we've also seen people that have been in sin, been in death so long that everything about them is decomposing. And it's, 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 it's just all downhill. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. No sin, no death, no decomposition in anyone's life is beyond his reach. Lazarus was in darkness, not a problem for Jesus. Church, I want to encourage us. We all know people who are lost in sin. They're dead without Christ. We need to be like Mary and Martha and begin to pray. Pray fervently that Jesus would call them by name and tell them to come forth. Know that you have power, that you have power to, to touch heaven on behalf of those that, that you love, just like Mary and Martha did. Keep praying. Know that no sin problem is, is, is too big for Jesus. You know, sin binds us. Death binds us. Lazarus wasn't just in the tomb laying on a rock. He was bound up. He called him by name. And then the people around helped to unbind him. You know, Jesus comes and he sets people free. He, he, Jesus comes and he calls them to life. And they're alive. But they still have to be unbound. You know where a lot of that takes place is within the church. You know, there's a lot of saved people in the world that are still bound in their grave clothes. There's a lot of people who've been, been made alive in Christ, 
but they're still hanging out near the graveyard. You know, what we find Lazarus doing shortly is he gets unbound. They free him up, and Lazarus begins to get even closer and follow Jesus. The next time we see Lazarus, he's not hanging out in the graveyard. Too many people come to Christ and become alive in Christ and then hang out at the graveyard, bound in their grave clothes. Some never even take the cloth off their eyes so they can see. They're alive, but they're hopping around the graveyard. It's time to get free to get unbound, to have the cloth taken off of our eyes so we can see the light of day, see the light of the master, and walk away from the graveyard. Sometimes we come to Christ and we go, well, that, I'm so thankful that he saved me, but I just don't want to leave my friends that hang out at the bar. I don't want to leave this, this group or this area, this place, because it's the only thing I know, and I was getting kind of comfortable in there for the last four days of death. But Lazarus knew who to follow. He follows Jesus, and we find him not just at a distance. He's at the banquet table with Jesus. He's fellowshipping with Jesus. He's chasing him down. We get set free. We get set free. We need to follow Christ, not hang around the graveyard any longer. If you've been made alive yourself, we need to begin to go to Jesus on behalf of those that are dying and dead and intercede and say, God, touch them, bring them to life, bring a healing to them. We need to know and believe that no matter how far dead somebody is, that it's no match for, for Jesus. I'm thinking Princess Bride. <laughs> He's just sort of dead. He's not all the way dead. No matter how dead someone is, it's no match. Sin is not a match for Jesus. Jesus wants to speak into your life and to call you out of any bondage and sin that you're in. He wants to speak into the life of your friends, of your family, and call to them and say, come forth. And then we as the church help them to walk in freedom, unbind their feet so that they can leave the graveyard. We've got to get rid of that face cloth. The Bible says that the, the, the minds, the hearts and the minds and the eyes of the unbelievers are blinded. They can't see the truth. We need to help people come to the, see the truth of Jesus and to walk towards Him and to grow closer to Him. Coming up on Easter, that's why I'm preaching this message because this is the time that, that Jesus begins to be on the hearts of so many people. And I'm, and I'm telling you, I don't think it's going to be that way much longer. We are in a post-Christian society. And, you know, and, and for those of you who, who are my age and older, I don't think we understand what's happening in the world as much as younger people. We're going, what do you mean a post-Christian society? I mean, you know, whether you were raised a Christian or not, you knew the things of God. God. 
You could go to somebody in their 60s and 70s and begin to sing Amazing Grace and they'll join you, though they've never stepped a day in the church themselves. It was part of culture. It was part of life many years ago. We're in a post-Christian society. And the further we get into that, there will be no understanding of God, no understanding of Jesus, no understanding unless we purposely tell people about him. Most people growing up in this nation for the last forever, there's always been an assumption of God and an assumption of Jesus. They understood salvation. They understood sin. That can't be said of this, of, of this generation that's coming up. And unless it changes, it's going to get worse and worse. In the last number of years in our youth group, we've had multiple people who believed that they were gay, 12-year-olds. We're already having sexual identity crises in Big Bear. Not one, multiple people in our little youth group. We had, we've had people who had fetishes with Nazism and wanted to be a Nazi. We've got, we got people, they, they're broken homes. They have no understanding of God until they begin to be taught. There was such a brokenness, a pervasive brokenness in the world and in, in, uh, even within our youth that a while back, uh, I, I did a, and I, if I share this, forgive me, I was looking around the room. We were talking about how God adopts you and things. And I said, raise your hand if you are in or have ever been in foster care. There were 16 kids that night. 14 of them raised their hands. When 14 out of 16 kids in your youth group have been in foster care, you know something's wrong. Church, we need to be awoken. We need Jesus to call to us. Come out. Take the burial cloth off of us. People don't know who God is, and we need to be the Marys and Marthas to go and pray. And then we need to stand by those that are coming out of the grave and unbind their feet and their hands and help them to get out of the graveyard and follow Christ. We might even be the people who still have some bondages on our own feet. And we might need to be bold enough to go to somebody and say, hey, I can't follow Jesus very well. I'm still in bondage myself. Will you help me? Because it was the people who took the bondages and the grave clothes off, not Jesus. See, the, the body of Christ is important. The body of Christ is important. I'm gonna, the, the ushers are going to begin to pass out the elements for communion want to do communion at the end of the service because communion is, is what's, what Jesus is going to celebrate with his disciples in just two weeks. I almost did it on Easter, but we've already got such a, such a full day on Easter here. From the tomb to the table, from burial to the banquet is Lazarus' story. From death to fellowship with Jesus, that's our story. That should be our story. We need to go all the way from coming to life in Christ to dining with Him, to communing with Him. As the, as the guys pass out the bread and the juice, go ahead and hold on to it. We'll pray for the elements and we'll take it together in a moment. Communion represents life. It represents 
it re- represents what Jesus did for us. Jesus died for us so we could live. The story of Lazarus illustrates that Jesus has power over death, power over every situation, every sin, every circumstance, no matter how dark, no matter how decomposing it is. And I've seen a lot of sin in my life. I've, I've sat with people as they've as as they were detoxing from alcohol and drugs and convulsing and throwing up, where alcohol or drugs had such a hold on them, they couldn't see the light of day. Seen people with track marks up and down their arms who needed to be delivered. Seen those caught in adultery. Walked with those caught in homosexuality. There's a lot of decomposing sin in the world and Jesus wants to set us all free. The enemy comes in 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 other forms as well. He comes in 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 horrible uh, family situations that leave children who grow into adults broken beyond belief, facing depression and questions about who they are. Communion represents the fact that Jesus died for every single situation that anyone has ever gone through. That he calls us forth by name. Over 30 years ago, I heard Rob come forth. I came came forth to life from death because Jesus has the power over sin and death. When, when Jesus was with his disciples having the Last Supper, he, he wanted them to just remember what he was doing for them so they'd never forget. Never got too far away from the act that they forgot that Jesus died for their sins. So he took a matzah cracker. This is a pretty legitimate matzah cracker. It was made without leaven. They've always been, had these little holes in them. And the the holes all line up. It's interesting. They're striped. Isaiah says that he was, by his stripes, were healed. The bread also has always had the little holes in it. I think for air and for the baking process. He was pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes we're healed. Jesus took that matzah on that day and says, Listen, I know that you remember the Exodus and how God saved you out of Egypt, but I'm telling you, this bread is going to forever represent my body which is about to be broken for you. He has the power over every sickness, disease, sin, decomposing issue. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have not left us as orphans abandoned on this earth just to try to figure it out. We're not wandering around aimlessly. God, you've died for us. You gave us a purpose in this life to love you, to live as the body of Christ, to serve one another. 
All that because you volunteered to have your body broken for us. We didn't deserve it, but God, we're so grateful that you did. Help us to never forget your sacrifice. That's why we do this on a monthly basis. And we thank you, God, for your body. It was broken for us. Let's partake of the bread together. The Bible teaches us that in the same way he, he took a cup, likely wine. Because of its color, I think it was really easy to say, you know, this is my blood, which is a horrible thought. It's a horrible thought. I don't want to think of somebody's blood. This is my blood. It's going to be spilled for you. In the past, there was a lamb that was sacrificed for the people in Egypt. And they would celebrate that. But Jesus was saying, I'm about to be sacrificed. I'm going to allow my blood to be spilled for you. Whenever you drink the cup, remember my sacrifice. And I can't even fathom it. During this Easter season, I, I, I encourage you to watch the Jesus movie. I encourage you to watch The Passion of the Christ to remember the things that Jesus did. Heavenly Father, none of us have the power to die for someone's sin. Very few people in the world would die for somebody else. But you died not just for the good people. You died for the ungodly. You died for me when I was far away. Your blood poured out of your body so that you could call me from my grave and be set free from my grave clothes. As a Lazarus myself, I thank you, Jesus, for your blood sacrifice for me. Let's receive the the cup together. Church, he has the power over your darkness. He has the power over anything that's decomposing in your life. Stinky death is no problem for the living Jesus. Let's just sing the chorus of this song and tell him that we're desperate for him. I'm lost without you. I'm lost before you. And I'm lost without you, Jesus. And I, I'm desperate for you. And I, I'm lost without you. I speak to you today in the name of Jesus. Come forth. Come forth today. Come forth into life. Come forth and have your grave clothes removed. Anything holding you back, go to Jesus. Get help from a brother, a sister. Say, help me with my bondage. Help me 
so I can see Jesus better. Help me to walk away from this grave. And church, let's go to those that need it. The same message and call others. Love them in the name of Jesus. Share the Lord with them. At least fulfill the the Andrew ministry where you just go and bring somebody to church. We printed up about 120 or so of those invitations. Don't take a big stack unless you're really going to give them out. Take three. Take three apiece and find three neighbors. Invite them to Easter service because we'll be preaching a message on salvation and life that day. Father, I speak blessing upon us. Spiritual blessing. God, to live life to the fullest, to walk in victory, to walk in freedom, to stand on the promises of Jesus, stand on the promises of the Word of God. God, I speak encouragement. Life, God, I thank you that we know the truth and we're going to a place where we'll live with you forever in heaven. And I speak challenge and encouragement to go into all the world, preach the gospel, to make disciples, to be your witness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you Thursday night for the the potluck. Hope you can make it, 6 p.m.